This is the Buck and Stock News Podcast, powered by Two Bulls, bringing you the stories and experiences from within the Bucking Stock world. And here's your host, Kyle Lippincott. This episode presented by Bullmen.com. Guys, if you uh, want your chance to live breed one cow to showtime, purchase a, a ticket for this drawing uh, for breeding season coming up from 3J Ranch and Bullmen.com. Uh, $50 a ticket. Uh, you can buy as, buy as many tickets as you want. If your name is drawn, 3J Ranch will, will pick up your cow and deliver her back to you within 500 miles of Sulphur Springs, Texas. Uh, some pretty pretty cool stuff there for, for an opportunity to win a live breeding to the great Showtime. Uh, if anybody might be interested, get a hold of Timo Torres on Facebook. Um, or you can contact me via Buckingstock News and, and we can get you guys in touch, purchase your tickets. Um, the event schedule presented by Two Bulls Feed, fortified with SQM Minerals. San Antonio coming up this week. Uh, check-ins actually tomorrow, which would be Tuesday. First round will be Wednesday. And then the top 10 bulls advance to uh, a $50,000 added short round in San Antonio National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Some pretty cool stuff going on there. February the 15th, uh, PBR Velocity Classic, Memphis, Tennessee. February 15th, Evolutions Open High Stakes Fraternity and Derby. February 22nd, Granbury, Texas, Red Laces event. February 22nd, also on the East Coast, King, North Carolina Fraternity. And to round out February, um, PBR's ABBI Classic in Kansas City, Missouri, February the 29th. Guys, don't forget the Two Bulls Legacy nomination, cow nominations are open. Um, you can you can log in uh, on the abbireg.com and Slade's work that site over. You can you can sign in, nominate your females online. It's super easy. Um, if you need need any help, you can, you can contact Jim McLean or, or myself, and we can kind of walk you through it uh, to get your guys' females nominated for the Two Bulls Legacy Program. Uh, BJ Cattle has a sale coming up uh, February the 18th on thebreedersconnection.com. They're going to offer some heifers, some some bred cows, and also some some money earning bulls for sale, full and half interest. Uh, daughters of Rain Dancer, Red Hot, Razor Blade, Texas Cocktail, and also uh, a couple out of a bull 50x Dumb, which is a seven eighths brother to Denutso. Um, one bull that they're they're offering half interest in 205Z Nighttime Crime. Uh, he was 91 points last year. He was 90 points at the Yearland Finals in Vegas. Um, the bull's got uh, the unlimited amount of potential to win money. Uh, they're selling half interest in him on that sale. And also uh, a bread recip sired by Bruiser out of out of 205Z, the damned nighttime crime. But what's cool about that cow is she's a surefire daughter out of the damn to Manaba. So some really, really good crosses there, guys. Um, some great bread stuff. Be looking for that sale. BJ Cattle Sale on thebreedersconnection.com. February the 18th. This episode, I'm sure you guys have been wondering when this was going to come for a long time. Uh, Laramie Wilson stepped in, helped me. Uh, I feel like we, him and I really jive and get along doing our, our live broadcast for the ABBI events. 
with that being said, I, I had Laramie come on and, and going to start doing some podcast stuff with me. And this episode was was really, really fun. Uh, getting to talk to Dylan Page with DNH Cattle. Um, just how it all started 30, 40 years ago. And, you know, some steps that Dylan has taken looking back, he didn't know was a good move, turned into be a great move and what's got him to where they are today. And here's our conversation with Dylan Page. Laramie, I'm, I'm pretty excited about having Dylan on and getting to pick his brain. And a lot of people see HD week in and week out, but, but Dylan also has a large role of getting the ball started years and years ago, but also keeping everything held together at home. Yeah, for sure, Kyle. Uh, I've only got to sit down and talk with Dylan from when he started a few times, but uh, there's been more things that Dylan said to me that has stuck in in my head and helped me where I am now than uh, probably anybody else that I've ever talked to. For sure. Dylan, so, like, when you you got started, HD, was he kind of the – him wanting to ride bulls and stuff, kind of what got you guys going? Yeah, he was – him and a friend of his, that's what they wanted to do was ride bulls. And, uh, the friend, he quit after a couple, and, of course, HD, he was the stupid one, so he just kept on craving it. So I got him some bulls to get on, and it just kind of – it just grew from there, really. It seemed like back when you guys had, had won your first couple uh, stock PBR stock contract of the year titles, a lot of those bulls were were purchased, as whereas today, Classic World Champions, you can say the last ten years, Fraternity World Champions, are raised by you guys. Did you guys incorporate some of those bulls that you had bought along the way to, to buck into your breeding program? Yes, that's. Uh, I mean, that's where we got started. Of course, we either got them at the sale barn to start with, or or I found them off of different guys that were bucking them. And back then, you could buy them cheap, you know, even if they were really good. So it, it just it kind of worked out for us. When you say get started, Dylan, like was this early 90s, mid-90s? About what year did you think you bought your first kind of set of heifers or something like that? Well, my, I'd have to go, hmm. I don't know. I'd say yes. Late eighties. Late eighties. Okay. So, what what was the where did like would you say you bought your first set of females from? Like if you trace your guys' stuff way back, you, you go back to a lot of Kepart stuff on the female side. Yeah. Well, I used to I used to lease bulls to Larry Kepart all the time for his rodeos, and that's how I got paid, was at the end of the year, well, I'd either wind up with some bulls off of him or some heifers off of him. And then as we went on, and actually in 94, uh, 93, I had loaned him a couple of bulls to breed to that I had. And I wound up buying that whole set of heifers off his cows that year. 
and then say uh, you put them into your breeding program and and I guess the the rest is history um speaking I think this would be kind of the beginning times was was the whole ot one deal and I've seen some things on YouTube and in other interviews with you that's kind of went over that but for newcomers that may have not seen that can you go over the whole the ot one deal and and how that became and and then mudslinger well ot one of course he came from uh, a heifer, actually the first, the very first set that I got off of Larry, and then was out of Super Dave also, and he was a really, really good bull, just wound up getting crippled, and anyway, we bred to him, and then he bred when we didn't want him to, and I wound up <laughs> killing him because I couldn't keep him off my couch. Mm-hmm. Little did we know we needed him on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess since we're we're talking about the mudslinger creation, was he could he have been competitive today with a dummy in his early years? Oh yeah, with the dummy, yeah, no doubt. He was. I mean, we you know the dummies back then were terrible. They didn't come off. They rode them all the way to the back pen. But, yeah, he was a very special bull with a dummy. And we awesome. put him on heifers because of the way he bucked with the dummy. Oh, so you guys bred to him before Mudslinger was really even famous? Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, we, I, actually, I don't think we put a dummy on him until he was three. It's a possibility he could have been too, but that year we turned him out on heifers, him and Copper Top, and uh, and a bull that we called Hookass. We turned all three of those bulls out after we bucked them with the dummy the first time. So you say you bucked them as brought more than likely three-year-olds. I'd say I'm the pretty sure they were threes when we bucked them. So you guys let them let them grow. I mean, that's probably how just how it was done then compared to now. Well, back then you didn't believe in bucking a young one. It's kind of like bucking a horse. You waited till he was three or four. You know, they was almost grown. And ours was great big when we bucked them. <laughs> They're still hmm. great big. Well, no, they were really great big back then. <laughs> When y'all decided, so so those three-year-olds that year, y'all turned out on heifers, did y'all just strictly go off how they bucked, or were y'all paying attention to the cow families and what, what their mom and dad were back then as well, or just, just the best bulls y'all had at the time? Is that what y'all turned out, or how'd y'all do that? We just turned out the best bulls we had. Gotcha. At, at that point, I mean, we didn't have any idea. The right. cows were good or what wasn't good. We, you know, like Mudslinger's mama, all she was was a half blood. She was out of broke back V and just out of a Brangus cow. Seems like them those Brangus cows kind of hit for you guys though. It's like Copperhead and Backlash and and turning into sixteen one thirty two and two hundred one one seventy, and you could trace a lot of that back to them Brangus cows. 
back to the yeah, the old crossbred cows that that I actually had turned out as beef cows. Did they get bred to a buck and bull by accident, or did you implement them into your your buck and bull operation? No, we we actually sorted them off and bred them to bucking bulls. They were they were athletic kind of cows that were were really mean. Mm-hmm. So it just looked like it made sense, which you didn't know, but but it turned out that part of them did. A lot of them didn't. Obviously, everybody knows over the years you guys have implemented some some high powered breed bulls from from other programs and, and on the female side, have you guys raised? I have a specific kind of where I'm going with this question, but uh, part one, I guess, have you guys did you purchase a lot of females once you got going, or did you try to keep back your heifers out of bulls of your own that you bred to? I did both. We kept heifers back. And I always looked at somebody else's program to try to find, like Don Kish and Alex Nakarada. They were people that raised bulls that everybody knew. Mm-hmm. So it made sense to me when I got a chance to get a female off of them. That's what I wanted. Well, you, you touched on, on the guy's name. That would be part two of the question. We did a podcast with Don Kish, actually, and I asked him about um, the the females that, that you and Tom had, had acquired from him. Uh, it seems like those Kish cows that you guys that are old now, obviously, but they hit every time in how you guys acquired them. And he, he went into the process of telling me that you went out there with Tom and maybe you got some off Tom later on maybe not directly from dawn was that how that happened yeah uh actually tom teague was the one that bought all the heifers and me and him were partners at that time well all the heifers come to my house i fed all of them and along about then was when he was fixing to start doing the female deal on his own Uh So I just made a deal with him that I could get 10 heifers off of it. And at that time, I think he'd give like 2000 for them. And I'd give him 4500 apiece for the ones that I bought. I'd say look at, looking back, when you look at what those females had produced for you guys, it's probably a, a pretty good investment on those 10 heads. Yeah, they were cheap. <laughs> to say the least, <laughs> no, no doubt. Laramie, you you had a question. We were talking before we we started recording this about the 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 breed bull um, question. It may be a good time, I guess. Well, I remember you telling me one one time, Dylan, that we were ta- for whatever reason we were talking about what we were breeding to that year, what not. And I said I was going to breed to a bull I had that was real good, but he didn't look good on paper. And you told me. And you may not remember this, but I remember it uh, very clearly. You told me breed to the bull that does it every time. Don't breed one that hit and miss or or something like that. What a I and what made me think about it was I had a bull that was a, a twenty one and a quarter, maybe twenty and one half every time, 
and I had another bull that's 22 some and 20 some. And back to what you said, the the calves that were the best were out of that 21 to 21 and a half point bull. Uh, what where did you get that, and what made you do that originally? I know it works now, but I just wondered what what made you breed to the. I guess he wasn't the rankest at the time, or something like that. But the bull that did it every time, or, or just trial and error over the years, and you figured out that's what worked. I really don't know why I did anything that I did. <laughs> to be honest, I mean, it it always made sense to me that. You, you had to breed heart into everything you did. Right. Now, I don't know if I, I don't know if I knew what genetics really meant back then. But, but I did believe that if, if a cow produced a good one, she would produce another good one. I always believed the very best bull you could breed to, it didn't matter what he was, the very best one gives you the very best shot to have another one. Yeah. And, and I don't have any idea how or why I thought that. It's just one of those things, you know, that it just made sense. So that was that was what I did. And luckily, it worked out. Yeah, it's definitely worked out. Y'all are leaps and bounds ahead of most of us. But on the same terms of the of the breeding side of things, Dylan, do do you still play a large role in in deciding what bulls go go where still today? No. <laughs> no. I don't pick any breeding bull. I don't even care at this point. HD knows way more about the bulls than I do. Uh, so there's no reason for me to even look. You know, mm -hmm. he has he has changed the way he does it. Now, he still breeds to the buckers, but he breeds to the young ones. That's coming mm -hmm. up. I've noticed that a lot. Paying attention to your guys' female sales, there's a, a lot of cows exposed to some some young bulls that have been hot. Right, and and for whatever reason, that has seemed to to really make it better. Also, but probably probably has a lot to do with what your guys' cow families are within your whole program of production as you've already stated i think that has a lot to do with it you know and then the bull calves the same way i mean the, the very best ones usually winds up being out of that very best family at some point you know maybe not out of the old cow but maybe out of one of her daughters mm -hmm. somewhere along along the line yeah so it you know, it, it just all, it all seems to line up, and, and then every now and then, you'll have that one that wasn't supposed to, and that's where the superstar crops out. <laughs> and I, I think I heard you say one time on, on an interview that, that you believe the, the, the superstars uh, come, come from an outcross, so 
combining different things with each other. I've always believed that. Uh, uh, Don Kish even proved that, and I don't know if he even knew it. Uh, those those cows that we come up with from him were out of a bull called No Can Do. And even though Don Kish owned that bull, he was an outcross. Uh, and then there was a couple of more uh, smooth moves the bull we got off of him. He was an outcross. So it, I, I don't know how it works. It just does work. Mm-hmm. Would you would you think Smooth Move added a lot of the elevation to to your guys' program? It seems like when you guys show up to town, if they don't spin, even if they do spin, but but even if they have a bad day and they don't spin, those bulls get up off the ground and break over and kick, whether they're going straight or they're trying to be ninety. I I think Smooth Move helped us with that because he was a leaper, there's no doubt, and had lots of kicks. You know, in the old bull showtime, I mean, he went back to Bodacious, the same thing. You know, he had he got off the ground and had a lot of kicks. And I, I think if you if you go back, well, just like Stone Sober now, you know, we've got bulls coming out of him that, get way off the ground. And, you know, he was kind of one of those flighty, stupid kind of bulls. But but it, I think it follows the traits. Exactly. So so characteristics, uh, bucking style may pass on kind of what you're saying. Yeah, I think it, I think it follows pretty close. When talking about those older bulls, Dylan, what bull, if you had to pick one, do you think was kind of put y'all where y'all are now, kind of ahead? Do you think uh, the the Kiss Bull or Showtime, which bull do you think kind of helped y'all? Or is there another outcross that you liked better? I know y'all bred a straight or flushed a straight jacket some. I don't know. I would probably. I would probably say that Showtime did more than than any of them did. Right. But but I don't but I don't know because if you you have to go back and look at the female side of it also. Mm-hmm. You know, like Mudslinger itself. I mean, we never raised a great bull out of Mudslinger, but there is bukus of them out of his daughters. Mm-hmm. So, so you you believe that maybe maybe their bulls may not be the greatest, but but their daughters could be a different story. They they can be. You know, I mean, I had some bulls out of Mudslinger that would have been great. I just never had one that stayed healthy. Mm-hmm. That you know that could have been great. Uh, so I mean, I don't know if. Uh, I think in the end you have to look at both sides. You got to look at the top and the bottom. You know, there's just everybody talks about they've got a bull out of some bull, out of coach, out of stone sober or whatever. Well, that don't mean anything to me. What means something to me is what his mama is. Mm-hmm. 
because that has seemed to be what made our superstars is is the cow side of it. It it sure it sure is interesting to hear you say that because we've already kind of touched it. But you you look at the bulls that that are winning today for you guys or or for anybody in that that matter. Uh, you seem to be able to trace them back to a good female on the maternal side. Yeah, somewhere. Yeah, and it'll happen over and over. Not not to get off of the the breeding program side of things, but but I know a lot of people that listen to this they they always talk about nutrition and and training and all that stuff. But to my understanding, you're you're the guy behind the your guys' hay program and 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 the feed, and you you guys know grow a, a lot of really really good hay. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that and what you feel a, a quality forage does for your bulls? Well, the the nutrition side is it's got to carry a big weight. Uh, you know, it they pretty much have proved now that you can't have a two year old that weighs thirteen hundred and win. the The bad part about it when you starve him down so you can win with him, then you can't get him back to that point where he needs to be when he's four. Mm-hmm. Uh, without a lot, a lot of work. So maybe more so than ever, the nutrition side really is a great big deal. Uh, to me, you 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 find the very best hay you can because it will help them grow. The feed is the same way, and I I mean we just we just flat out use commodity mixed feed so I sure can't say I use the best feed that you can make mm-hmm. but it uh, but it does seem to work you know back back in the old days when I used to do it all I did it all with an old grinder mixer that you hooked on to a tractor I, I raised all of my corn I raised the milo uh, I raised hay and I ground it all together and mixed it up. And that's how I fed. It just happens to be now you don't have time to do all that. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I, I, I know you hear a lot of people, man, Paige's bulls are so big. What, well, what the heck are they feeding or whatever? And, and I personally believe uh, that, that your guys' genetics have over the years they're just designed to be big but but a lot of people don't know what what you put into to the hay season to to create the the quality of hay that you guys do yeah it takes lots of fertilizer and lots of work (laughs) what what's what's kept you you've you've outsourced your feed basically now you say from when you first started what's kept you from from buying buying hay instead of raising it Oh, I I guess because I never felt like I could buy hay like I could grow. Mm-hmm. And when I grow it, I know what I have. I take it you guys test your hay every year and make sure it's up to par? No. Uh, 
I used to test it pretty much every year, but no, I pretty well. I mean, I mean, I know how much fertilized foot I put out, and if I get moisture, I know what it's going to test. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've been you've been doing it long enough. Uh, I'm 68 years old, and I've been doing it almost 60 of them, probably. <laughs> <laughs> pretty bad, but that's pretty much the truth. Talk not just about hay, but y'all plant wheat every year. I I know Dylan, and when you turn out on wheat, do you turn out your your cows and your big bulls and everything, or do you turn out wheat just for your yearlings to grow them, or how do y'all determine what goes out on wheat every year? It's mainly we just turn out our yearlings, uh-huh. our England calves, I guess is what you should say. Right. Uh, uh, on the right years, I mean, we we for sure enough try to keep all of our heifers out. HD tries to take my bull calves off because I I get them too big. <laughs> uh, but the wheat, I mean, it's it's one of the best things you can do to make a calf grow. You know, there's it, it's pretty easy to make a calf gain four pounds a day on wheat. Uh, you know, but like me, I mean, when I put them on wheat on a wheat field, I feed them every day also. Right. Most people so, don't. So, like a weanling bull that's out on wheat, how much grain is he going to get a day, roughly? He, I mean, I know it's going to vary a little, but. Yeah, normally just three or four pounds. Three or four pounds plus plus all the wheat he can right. eat. Well, the wheat and the hay. Okay, wheat so y'all. Yeah, we usually keep them free choice hay when they're on wheat. Gotcha. Wouldn't take one long to to get going like that. Well, they go pretty quick. Now, years like this year, there's no wheat, and what there is is full of water, so it doesn't do. They don't do as good, but you know, and that's where the feed and the hay has to supplement. And help soak up some of the moisture. Mm-hmm. So, what about like when when you guys start when HD starts going through those bulls and say he picks the twenty five that he thinks can go to town and, and do good? You you guys just turn the rest of them out until somebody gets them up and goes through them again, or where where do those the remainder go end up at? Uh, they wind up eating for a long time. <laughs> they, I, I mean, we, they, they'll go through them a couple of times, but they still just wind up hanging out, which, which really is, it, it hurts us because we'll wind up with, with still 100 or 150 of them stupid things that, you can't take anywhere, uh, so it takes a pretty good size pasture plus a lot of feed. Uh-huh. Is, it, is that maybe a reason why here the last few years we've seen you guys really consigning quite a few bulls of these different bucking stock sales, kind of trying to just thin out the bulls that maybe just, aren't cutting it for you guys? You just got to get rid of them. 
you know, and we wind up selling some really, really good ones. Mm -hmm. But you, you just can't keep them all. And we still don't sell enough of them. I mean, that's just the bottom line. And, and so, like, talking about selling them and stuff with your guys' red female sale in the in the summertime, your heifer sale in the fall, did you guys want to start offering some of your genetics to the public, or, or was it because the the simple fact that you just can't keep them all? Oh, you just can't keep them. Plus, this is the only thing we do for a living, so we don't have any choice. Mm -hmm. We have to. I mean, to, to make money, you have to sell them. For sure. You know, and we've just been fortunate enough that We've raised enough of good ones that we've always been able to sell our females and and actually sell our bulls. Mm -hmm. Is there is there a rhyme or reason to what goes in the sales? Do you have any idea? No, no. You know, used to we thought we picked the bottom end off of them to sell them. And then as we went along, we figured out, uh, actually, I guess I'm the guy that figured out, you don't know what the bottom end is. Because you may have a cow that raised three bulls that's just bulls. You can use them. They're users, but that's all. You sell the cow, and the next year somebody comes along with a son of a buck that's a really, really good one out of that cow that you thought was a bottom end. Mm -hmm. The the genetics just don't they just don't cross out every time, and you don't never know if it's going to be the bull that fixes that problem or if it's the year that fixed it. You don't know why. That's mm -hmm. the good part about this business because if you knew, you wouldn't be able to sell the two cows. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You know, so just like our heifers, I mean, they can come by a $2,500 heifer, and she might be the best heifer that's sold in the sale. Mm -hmm. They want when we don't know. But nowadays, we try to sell by pedigrees because we try to sell some that will bring a lot of money. Mm-hmm. It seems like your guys' your guys' marketability with multi time bull of the year, just just your your program that you've created um in the buck and bull business is has helped with your sales. I mean, did, I guess I just gotta ask, did you ever see, you know, the, the numbers you guys see at your sales and and the success that your breeding program has had producing ranked bulls year after year? Obviously, that's the goal for everybody, but when you started 30, 40 years ago, did you see it being, you guys being at leaps and bounds above everybody else? No. No. I mean, how could you? You know, it, I don't even know how we got there or how we got where we're at today. I mean, it, you know, you just, I, I think we did. I think I made some good decisions along the way back in the early days. 
but I don't think I knew I did. Mm -hmm. I honestly don't even know some of the time why I pick some of the things that I pick. It just it just happened to work. One one thing, Dylan, I got a chance to talk to you about this on the phone. I did an article about it, but uh, I'm, I don't think a lot of people understand, and, and I, I thought it was really interesting getting to talk to you and, and the, the creation behind it and the idea, but you are the one that started what is now the American Heritage. Yeah. Actually, me and Joe Merrick. <laughs> Which was a past president of the ABBI? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, back in those days, I mean, I, I, I seen that we needed something. It, it was evident. I just didn't know how to try to do it. And anyway, I talked to Joe, and we actually, he put all the stuff together for it. Then I give it to the ABBI while Joe was still working for him. Mm -hmm. And I did it because I thought they could take it and make it great like I thought it could be in the beginning. And and they did. Uh, Didn't you say when you first... Today, they would still enter it even if I was the guy that was was putting it on. In the beginning, a lot of people didn't want to enter it because they felt like they were coming and competing against me, and it, that that really wasn't the intention. Mm-hmm. But, but anyway, it it has worked out for sure. It it's changed a lot a lot of people's uh, maybe their operations. You know, some guys that show up with only owning one or two bulls, and and Joe Blow, for example, and then winning a hundred thousand that year. Uh, probably change that guy's operation. Right. Yeah. What year was the the first heritage? Did y'all get that? What what year was the first heritage, Dylan? The the first year y'all had it, what year was that? Oh, my goodness. I don't know. It's been... uh, uh, I want to say I thought you told me, like, Maybe around 2003-ish. Uh, that'd be close. The, 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 the fraternity game in general was still fairly new to a lot of people when the American Heritage was, uh, I guess, established. Yeah, when we started it, yeah, there was, I mean, that was back, no, maybe not. I started to say that would have been, it would have been very close to the RSR days. Mm-hmm. Right. It wouldn't have, it, it, it wouldn't have been because I do know that Joe was running the ABBI when we set it up. And I, and I, I don't even remember when we started the ABBI. That's, and I'm not good at dates anyway. Uh, but but it'd be 
it'd be in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Didn't you say that it was when you first started it? It was in in Ardmore, and, and it and it used to be a hundred percent payback. Yep. Yep. The very first one I did, everybody that entered a bull brought a judge or judged theirself. How, how many judges do you think there were that day? Dude, I don't know. Thirty something. Forty something. Well, I mean, what what was the response of that? What what did you think of it? I thought it was real, real good. What I did that day, I hired Jimmy Morse to be a judge. I told him, I said, I want you to judge every bull, and I said, you turn it in just like, you know, just like you're a judge. I said, it don't count for nothing, but I said, I want you to be, I said, I want you to pick the winner. And for the most part, every bull he had in the top, most of the guys that judged had them in the top. Really? It was pretty, yeah, it, it was pretty weird the way that it actually lined up. Uh, you know, you would think that everybody would mark their bull higher that judged. That wasn't the way it was. For the most part, all of the guys that actually judged, they were pretty flipping close. Uh, Larry, what, what do you think about implementing that today? Um, I think that's... <laughs> I don't have a problem with it, but I think there'd be a lot of headache for the secretary. <laughs> there'd be a lot more than thirty scores now. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, but but now remember, if you entered ten bulls, you still just had one judge. Right. So it, I mean, it it, it don't multiply as much as you think, but it does multiply because there's there's bukus people got them now. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, it's way deeper than it used to be. I, I honestly, I, I think the first year we put that thing on, we, I don't know, we might have had 40 entries. I, I don't remember, to be honest, but it was something like that. And at, at the first one, did, did y'all backdate it? And it was a little before my time, so I'm asking some kind of silly questions, I guess, but, you know, now you have to nominate a year out. Did y'all do that at the first one, or did you let people start? there and then backdate it as you went the very first one we backdated it gotcha and then the second one it actually it actually fell in line right so so if there was was there more at the second one or was there about the same number or less or how what do you remember i I just remember how many people were going to pay a year out because at that time, you know, now we buck our calves. Some people may already have five trips on them. And then you may not buck them till their two-year-old year. Heritage time. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, if you had five trips on one by June of a two-year-old year, you'd buck them a bunch. Right. Yeah. The the second year we actually had a few more, but but not a whole lot. But it was a few. Right. Uh, 
The third year it was better. And it, it still just, it wasn't growing as fast as I wanted it to. Mm-hmm. I think that was my main problem. And, and back, I don't know, back then I always felt like, you know, a lot of guys did not enter just because I was the guy that put the event on. And we always put it on in Ardmore. I mean, and and everybody, everybody always said, you know, you're doing it in your, you're doing it at home. Well, I never bucked my calves there just like everybody else, so that wasn't true, but I sure didn't have to travel as far as anybody else. Mm-hmm. But, so with, with the creation of it and, and backdating it, like Larry was saying, nominating a year out, it was obviously the, probably designed around your breeding programs? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, I like I say, when I when I did it, I got Joe Merrick to help me with it because he was a horse guy. So I that's what we were doing was actually copying what the racehorse world had already done. For sure. I guess I maybe worded that a little bit wrong. Not specifically your program, but just the, the people's female power within their herds, nominating those calves before you, you ever bucked them. Well, yeah, but now back then, we didn't know. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew. At that point, I don't think anybody knew what their females was doing. Uh, that makes makes sense. It's, it's progressed it, a lot since yeah, then. It, you know, that was so long ago. I just don't... I don't know that any of us had any concept about a breeding program at that point. Mm-hmm. So so at that time, when y'all did nominate yearlings, how did, did y'all... Did y'all I mean, when you first started, did y'all buck them before to pick, or did y'all just strictly look at confirmation? How did y'all go about picking what y'all are going to nominate each year? We just we just nominated them all. Oh, nom- okay. Well, that's one way to do it. <laughs> I mean, we, you, you know it. Well, I say that, that's probably not true. I, I bought enough spots, just like I still do. Right. That I wasn't going to miss one. Yes, sir. Now, of course, you always did because the naming came early enough that you still didn't get them bucked enough. Mm-hmm. You still didn't know. I mean, so they it, give us a year now, and I still don't think I know sometimes, so I could just imagine then. Right. Well, I mean, you know, now they actually haven't they moved the, the naming date? Yeah. Even more forwards, I think. Uh, they have. And and to me, the the way to make it great, to me, the way to make it great is to name the son of a gun way before you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I think there's a, I think there's a place out there for a, for another big event, but maybe an event that. You ain't never bucked him before. I don't. I don't know. 
I keep having all this stuff go through my head. That I know we need to do something because you you know, Laramie, if we don't get something going, this thing ain't gonna be great. Yes, sir. You know, it's. I mean, it's it's been good, but if you don't change with the times, it's it's not gonna keep it's not gonna keep getting better. Right. Right. And I'm old enough at this point, I don't know if I'm into it enough to figure it all out, but somebody will. <laughs> but, I got but faith I think in maybe, you know, I think we can have another one one day that, who knows, maybe a yearling event, I don't know. But an event that will be like the heritage, but but won't be a two because... We're done. There's plenty of there's plenty of two year old events. Yes, you sir. know, like the American Heritage, the East, the West, the South, or whatever they call all of them now. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got plenty of them. We don't need any. We don't need any more of them. But we need something. I'm just not sure what it is. To give sure. us another boost. <clears throat> You know, and and I think uh, I used to always tell everybody the heritage should pay two hundred thousand, and that was what I always thought it would do when I started it. But by the time you get through taking all the money out of it, you know, even if you can get close to there, you still rob too much money out of it. And and I understand you have to to put it on. But that's that's the part to me. You got to figure out how not to steal so much money mm-hmm. out of a great big one. For sure. You know the small ones. I mean, you have to because you it, it takes X number of dollars to put that thing on. So if your pot's two hundred thousand, well, it it don't take half of it. You know, but, right. you know, all I'm saying is there, there's got to be a way. It's just figuring it all out. No, no doubt for sure. Well, Dylan, kind of winding up this, this episode, I have one last question and, and Larry may have another one or two, but uh, of all the, the rank bulls that you guys have raised over the years, what would have to be your favorite? <laughs> I don't guess anybody could pick anybody, any bull but Bruiser. For sure. I mean, to me, you know, I always thought Long John was the greatest thing we ever had. And I still do. But Bruiser has done everything that a bull can do. You know, he, I mean, he bucked when he was two, he he bucked when he was three, he bucked when he was four. You, you ask him to buck today, he'll still buck. So he's just, I mean, he's just been that bull that, that's been unbelievable. A once-in-a-lifetime type animal, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, uh, he is the one that's once-in-a-lifetime bull. I mean, I don't think he'll ever come along again for anybody. That's a bad thing to say, but that's kind of the way I feel. I mean, he's 
you know, if you look at, at the accomplishments that he's had, he's done everything that you could ask one to do, except win when he was two. And he was one of them that weighed 13 or 1,400 when he was a two-year-old. Mm-hmm. Great. Dude. I remember him as a two-year-old. He And he, like I said, he was a big calf, and he he got off the ground and bucked. And, and I want to I wanna say at, at the time he was a two-year-old, they were kind of looking for a different style than what he was. Uh, he, I think he might win more to, in today's maturity than what was winning then. Just, just because of the way bucked. He, he went about two jumps sometimes, and but he leaped, he kicked, he turned back, he, he bucked. He just wasn't the style they were looking for at the time. Right, because they looked for all the gas at that time, and he couldn't he couldn't have no more gas because he got off the ground too far. Right, yeah, mm-hmm. he was in the air too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that the oh the the day we bucked him at the finals when he was two, uh-huh. me and Jurl were sitting there together, and anyway, I told Jurl, I said he ain't gonna win today, but I said next year, I said they'll have heck beating him. <laughs> and sure hey, enough, y- y'all didn't wait it, y'all didn't wait very long either. I think he started winning in February the next year. Yeah, quick. <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah, because he was so big. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and he bucked so hard. I mean, you know, it wound up that Long John beat him in the classic finals. But uh, he just barely did. And I don't know if he could again. But, mm-hmm. you know, that year when he was three, he was runner-up. He won it when he was four, and then he won Bull of the Year the next three years. You know, he was, I mean, he was just a special bull, no, no doubt. And, and not to mention now, you know, what what he's done in the arena, but what he's doing as a sire for you guys. Right. Yeah. He, yeah. He, he, well, he's, he's completely changed. He's changed our program. There's no question about that. You know, the daughters are going to be good. The bulls are going to be good. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's just unbelievable. That's the reason you got to pick him to be the best. Mm-hmm. You know, every aspect that you look at, he's just he's just dominated. That's all there is to it. Yeah, even on and he's never really had a bad day, so to say. But on his bad days, uh, he's still better than ninety nine percent of the other bulls there. Right. Yeah, and he has them. He just feels good when he has them. <laughs> <laughs> well, Laramie, kind of winding it up here. You, you have anything else? Uh, no, I, I don't. I don't think so. Uh, you keep thinking about what, what we're going to do to change it, and make it better, Dylan. And I'll, I'll help you out if I can. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just know we need to. You know, we got a great more. thing. We've had a great thing. But to keep it great, you got to keep on thinking of something better. Keep moving yeah. forward. Yeah. And it's real important for you, Larry, because you're young. Yes, sir. You know, I'm old. It's not as important for me. I don't have I don't have a lot of time left to have to worry about it anyway, but but all you youngsters, you do. 
There's and no it's a great good. life, so, you know, a guy wants to keep it going. <laughs> well, Dylan, I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and talking with Laramie and I, and I know I've learned a lot, and I think I think everybody that's going to listen to this will surely enjoy it. All right. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Yes, sir. Well, you have a good evening. Okay. You too. Thanks.